0: Good morning, everyone. The the reading this morning, if you have uh, one of the Pew Bibles, for those of you who are very visually capable, um, it's. (laughs) That's definitely not me. Um, It's on page 687. And alas, for those visually challenged like me, uh, the large font Bible, it's on page 1533. So, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And I will pay you whatever is right So they went He went out again about noon And about three in the afternoon And did the same thing About five in the afternoon He went out and found still others Standing around He asked them Why have you been standing here all day long Doing nothing Because no one is hired as they answered He said to them You also go and work in my vineyard when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Mark. Good morning, everyone. So the second reading as you can see behind you is from Ephesians chapter 2, again small print Bible, if you can read that it's on page 812, Um, in the large print Bibles it's on 1815. So Ephesians chapter 2 starting at verse 1 going through to verse 10. Made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in, in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Well, morning again. Sorry, the throw throats particularly this morning. Uh, as you came in, you should have been offered, I think, an outline of the talk. You might want like to grab that um, if you like, just being aware of how close we are to the end. That's always a good thing. <clears throat> Let me pray, and we'll, then we'll look at God's Word together. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great kindness to us in so many ways. We thank you that you're a God who loves to give. Father, we pray that you would give us an understanding this morning of, from your word um, of your character uh, and show us what that means for us and how we should respond to you. Father, we go, pray that you would help us to go out from here, uh, change people, encouraged, strengthened uh, for our walk with you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder how many of you can remember the year 2002. Anybody remember can anybody remember last week? No, Can anybody remember 2002? You can remember last week, but not 2002, perhaps. Um, It was in 2002, and you'll recognise this fellow, I imagine. Does anyone know who it is? Steve Bradbury, very good. Uh, 2002 Winter Olympics at Salt Lake City was Steve Bradbury's fourth Olympic Games. He'd not, ex- been, not been expected to medal or to do anything in the 1,000-metre short track event. Um, it's a bit of a crazy event. starts off something like this. There are five people in a race, and they hurtle around the, tr- the track about 100 times, or however many it is. Uh, they go around, 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 uh, until finally, at the end, uh, two people uh, are, are there to, to win. Um, he started off his first race. He actually went really well in his first race. He won his first race without any problems. However, he went into the quarterfinals and he found himself up against the reigning champion and the favourite for the event. And so he wasn't expected to do anything. And sure enough, he didn't. Um, he came third in that event and so was, was, uh, was knocked out. However, um, one of the vagaries of this event is that uh, people often seem to uh, complain about things and one of the people who came ahead of him was disqualified for interview- interfering with one of the other races. And so he went through to the semi-final. Again, in the semi-final, he wasn't expected to do anything. Um, he was uh, well off the pace, in fact, um, until uh, three of the other four competitors crashed and Steve came in in second, uh, well behind the, uh, the person who came first. He found himself in the finals uh, in a very unlikely position in the finals of the, of the Winter Olympics. He went into the finals uh, knowing full well that he had no chance. The the other four competitors in the final were faster than him. They had greater stamina than him. Uh, They'd all beaten him in in the past, and he knew that he had no chance whatsoever. His tactic was to basically skate behind them and just enjoy the event. Um, He realised he wouldn't get on the podium, Uh, and so the race began. Round and round and round they went. Um, Sure enough, Steve... Slowly but surely, fell off the pace. Um, the four races ahead of him were vying for the for the three medals. You will you know, of course, for um, those of you who can remember two thousand two, how it ended. On the very final corner, the very final corner, all four of the other races smashed into each other and fell over. Steve Bradbury <laughs> kept going and became Australia's first Olympian, Olympic gold medalist at the Winter Olympic Games. He was the first, actually the first person from the Southern Hemisphere to win a gold medal at the Olympic Games. Amazing. Um, Steve Bradbury could very much relate to the very last verse that Mark read to us. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Um, it may surprise you to know that this verse although quite hilarious and fitting quite well with that, uh, with that particular story, um, actually wasn't written for that event. Um, that may surprise you. It, a bit of a giveaway because it was actually written 2,000 years or so before that event. Um, it's, it's a strange saying, isn't it? The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Or the other way around, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. It's a strange statement. What's it all about? I know what, what we'd love it to be about. We'd love it to be about this. We'd love it to be about people who, who start off life really up against it. We know, we know those kind of stories where people, they, as they, when they were born, they had to kind of carry coal around or whatever it might be. Uh, they had to get whatever uh, job they could find. Life was against them, but they had a dream. And in that dream, they they were going to be somebody famous. They were going to be a a doctor or they were going to be a a sports person or a musician or whatever it might be. And so they worked hard. They, They worked hard against all the adversities. They fought and they fought and they fought. And then finally, they managed to get to the top of the tree. We love stories like that, the whole rags to riches kind of story, don't we? And I'd love it if that's what that verse was about. You could be last in life. You could, you could have been born with nothing, with no chances, no opportunities. But if you work hard enough, you can achieve your dreams. That's the kind of message we love to hear, isn't it? That's, what, that's the kind of message that's often uh, shared with us. It's, it's told to us, this is what you do. And people often they stand up on the, on the podiums. So and say, yes, I've worked so hard and I've, found, I've achieved my dreams. If you work hard, you can achieve your dreams too. Well, let me tell you, unfortunately, that is not what this, uh, that saying is about. I'd love it to be, but it actually isn't. To understand what Jesus is actually saying, we need to actually go back to the passage. We need to go back to the Bible and find out what's going on. In fact, we need to get, get an understanding of the context. Which it's always a good idea when you find the Bible hard to understand to look at the context, look at the things that are happening around it. In chapter 19, chapter 19, verse 16, we, we meet a rich young man. Many of you will know this story. He comes up to Jesus and he he says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This guy is a really good guy. It's a good question. We'd all like eternal life, wouldn't we? How do we get it? This man has got pretty much everything else. He's a wealthy man. He's a powerful man. Uh, He's an influential man. But he's also a good man. When Jesus talks to him about some of the things he might need to do, he says, yes, I've done all these things. I've, I've been good. I've never um, put my hand in the till. I've never run off with my friend's wife. I, they, all these things, I've, I've kept these laws and then some. I'm a really, really good man. But Jesus realises that this man has something missing in his life. Not only does he have, and I guess it's the reason he has this nagging doubt, he realises um, that there's something wrong with this guy's heart. Because in this guy's heart, there is no room for God. And so he says to the man, just give up everything you have and then come and follow me. Pretty small ask, uh, but that's what he asks him to do. This man is the only person in the Gospels who leaves Jesus sad. He walks, some w- walk away angry, some walk away confused, some walk away uh, excited and joyful This man goes away sad because he knows that he can't do what Jesus asked. There's no room in his life for God to that level. He could fit God into into some of the little niches of his life, the little nooks and crannies, but uh, it couldn't be right in the centre. And so Jesus says to them, Jesus says to the disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, which for them is a very hard thing for them to understand because when you're rich in the first century, it's a sign of God's blessing, it's a sign that God approves of you. And so this man has all of that. He's, the, he, he's a perfect East Linfield resident, he's got, all, he's got it all, a really good guy. But he hasn't got God in his life, and there's no room for God. And so this person, who we expect to be first, he's first on our invitations to our, par- our fancy parties, but, but he's the last on God's list. This person, is, is instead of being first, he's now last. The disciples get worried and so they say, God, Jesus, uh, how can this be? How can anyone be saved? And so Jesus wants to com- comfort them. He says, don't you worry, your future is secure. Um. It will have joy, satisfaction, all those things. You'll have an eternal life. But he says, many who are first will be last and many who are last, like you, will be first. There's going to be a great reversal happening here. The people you'd expect to get in to God's kingdom are going to miss out. The ones that nobody would expect to come in, well, they're going to be the ones who who actually make it in. And so that's where our parable comes. Jesus then starts to tell them a story. Usually the, the uh, chapter breaks in the Bible are helpful, but here I think it can actually cause us to, to actually miss the context because this, this parable comes just after Jesus said to his disciples, many who are first will be last, many who are last will be first. And so he tells this very strange parable. And it's a strange one because those of us who have worked in industrial relations, we know you don't work this way. Um, Jesus describes a landowner. Um, now, in our, in our culture, of course, um, our landowners, on the big, they're on the big farms, big properties out in the country, and they'll have the people who come and work in there, and maybe when it's shearing time, people will come, and they might travel around, that kind of idea. Well, in the first century, it'd be a little bit more like this. The, the, the uh, towns, the small towns, were surrounded by, uh, by, by farms, and the farmers would come in, and the, the, tw- the town dwellers would kind of wait there for somebody to come in and say, well, I've got some work for you today. It's a bit like the kind of thing you might see um, in, this is, uh, in India. There's some people waiting for a similar kind of situation. Uh, it's the same kind of thing we experience in Zambia, where people are um, looking for work. And they, wherever work will turn up, um, they'll take it. And so this is what the man does. He comes at the beginning of, da- the, beginning of the day, 6 o'clock in the morning, and he s- finds the people who are there. They're the keen beans. They're the ones you really want. And so he gets there for, nine, for six o'clock, hires the people he needs, and away they go. But as, as we know through the story, um, he realizes that the, the job is bigger than the, the workers he's got. And so he needs to go back. So he goes back at nine. These are the ones whose uh, alarm clock didn't work, uh, but they managed to get there from nine o'clock. Uh, and so he, he, he grabs some of them, and they come and work. He then goes out again, still not enough, not enough people to do the job. Goes back at 12. Sure enough, there are still some people hanging around there. He takes them. They go and work for him. At 3 o'clock, the same thing. At 5 o'clock, one hour before knockoff time, there's still work to be done. He needs to get it finished today. And so he goes and he grabs whoever's, there, whoever's hanging around, brings them back, and they're working on his farm. It's a strange way of doing work. Why didn't he just grab as many, all of the people at the same time? I don't know. But it's parable, so we don't want to push these things too far. So he's, he's, got this, he's got to the end of the day, and at the end of the day, they're all ready to be paid. They're all lining up, um, ready to be paid, and he kind of does it in reverse order. I don't know why he did it in reverse order. It would have been much more sensible, I think, to do it the other way around, but to get rid of the people who came first, then they would have gone. They wouldn't have seen what's about to happen. But he starts off with those who've, who came at the end of the day. Gives them a day's wages. Pretty Pretty amazing, I think, for those guys. They wouldn't have expected that kind of thing. Um, at the beginning of the day, he said to the people, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you a day's wages, one denaro, which is about, I guess, uh, a day's wa- wages, what's it today, $250, something like that, $200? Um, that's what he offers them, and that's what he gives these people who've worked only a day That's That's a great way to pay. That would be fantastic. Um, then he gets to the next people, the people who came at three, the people who came at 12, the people who came at nine, And so finally he gets to the people who were there right at the beginning of the day. And we know how it ends. He says to them, here's your money. They open up the pay packet and it's just what he said at the beginning of the day. It's exactly the same as the people who came at five o'clock. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel ripped off for them, don't you? It's so unfair. They've worked all day. They've worked hard all day. And nothing. They just get what they, what they were agreed at the beginning of the day. It doesn't seem right. The same as these people who, who work for only a short amount of time, it doesn't seem fair. And so they complain. I think rightly so. What's going on here, they say? Why, you know, we've been here all day. We've been working through the heat of the day. Why, why are we getting the same? They grumble, and I think it's a reasonable, a reasonable grumble. But the landowner's response is important. This is the way he responds. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? We can't deny that. When they started at six o'clock in the morning, they said, you know, fair days work, fair days pay. We'll accept those. We signed the contract. We've, we've, we've signed up to do it on that, on that basis. He says, didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Well, take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Well, I have to admit, I am envious, aren't you? I feel a bit envious. That's a natural response. But then when I hear what the, the, the landowner says, I guess I can see where he's coming from. He hasn't actually ripped those early workers off. He they, they agreed to the terms and he's he's kept his side of the bargain. <clears throat> What's really getting their goat is the fact that he's he's treated the others so well. And now when I now when I look at my own reaction, I think, you know what, actually that's not very nice, is it? <laughs> it's not a great reaction. Just because he's been kind to someone else, I want what I want is him to be more kind to me. That's what I want. I want to get what's coming to me. I don't really care about them. In fact I, I prefer them to be to get less. I don't know about you, maybe it's just me who's like that. Um, so Jesus then ends the parable with this phrase. Well, this, he says, Don't I have the right? Ends it with his phrase, The last shall be first and the first shall be last. He's not just talking about the, the order of which, which they are paid. He's talking about what they get. Because for us, we see the people who have worked hard. They've earned it. They've earned their pay. And they get what's coming to them. But Jesus tells his, tells his parable not to look at them that's what we expect. If it was just the first, the workers at the beginning of the day, this would be the most boring parable of all time, wouldn't it? Some people came at 6 o'clock, they worked all day and got what they, got what they deserved and went home. That would be so boring. But Jesus tells a parable. When he tells a parable, you, you look at it and you go, what's the thing that really jumps out? What's strange here? And of course, it's the fact that he pays the people who only worked an hour so much. Who would do that? Who would be so generous? to people who have done, well, hardly anything? Who would do that? Which is, of course, what this story is about. This story is about God, about who God is. In fact, it speaks of one of the most important characteristics of God's things of God's character. It's his grace. Um, We don't use the word grace in our culture very much anymore. Sometimes people say grace. Uh, before church, some, before dinner, sometimes people might describe a ballerina as somebody who has grace, or that you might look at a Don Bradman cover driver that's so gracious the way he drives. Um, but that's not what the Bible talks about when he talks about grace. When Jesus talks about grace, this parable is what he's talking about. Uh, he's talking about the, the gift. You see, grace is a gift from God. The most amazing thing about this story is that these people who didn't deserve it got a full day's pay. They got something they didn't deserve, and that is grace. That is what grace is, and that is what the kingdom of heaven is like. That second passage we had from Ephesians chapter 2, Paul describes salvation for us in this beautiful paragraph. Uh, It's an amazing paragraph, but also it's outrageous. He reminds us that we were all by nature objects of wrath. We deserve God's judgment, he says. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think I deserve God's judgment. I'm a nice person. Aren't you? are you nice? We all like to think that we're nice. I haven't killed anyone today. I haven't stolen anything. I haven't run off with the secretary or anything. I'm I'm a good person. We like to think that we're really good, don't we? However, the Bible tells us that every one of us are by very nature objects of God's wrath. By the... The, the things that we do that we don't like to think about, that we don't like to talk about, the things that we do in secret, the attitudes of our hearts, the way we have treated people, the things that we have done, the things that we should not have done, the things that we have said, the things that we should not have said. These are the things that separate us from God, and above all, the fact that we, we ignore God. We, we push him to the corner of our life like the rich young ruler had no room for God in our lives. We fill our lives with so much stuff, don't we? We have no room for God. By nature, we are objects of wrath. That's what we deserve. That's what's fair. But the great message of this parable, and of course this passage, is that is by grace we are saved. Jesus has taken away those, that sin. Jesus, by what he has done for us, has actually set us free. We don't deserve it. We were enemies of God. We deserved nothing. We were last. And yet, we can be first. Now, how is that achieved? Of course, if you, if you look into the very next passage, uh, starting from verse 21, Jesus talks about how it's going to be achieved. He says, "...the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified." On the third day, he will be rise to life. Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of all things, described in Colossians 1 as the firstborn over all creation. He is first, the very first. What does God do? He makes him last. Christ becomes last so that we can become first. So that verse, the first will be last and the last will be first, is a verse about you. You were the last. I was the last. We deserve nothing from God, and yet because of what Christ has done, the first has become last, and now we can be first. We can become children of God. Incredible, isn't it? Astounding. So what do we do with this? Well, there's two things really we can do with it. Um, the first one is um, to do what Steve Bradbury did. When he got to the, um, when he went over the finish line, he had a choice. He had about half an hour whatever it was, he could have said, you know what, I don't deserve this. The, the guy who, who got up and kind of, kind of crawled his way over the line in second place, he's the one who really deserves it because he fell and he kept going, I was just, I, just, I was just lucky, I just stood here in the right place. He could have done that, but he didn't do that. This is him receiving his gold medal. Um, even though he knew he probably didn't deserve it, he took it. It was, a, it was an amazing gift for him. And that's what, what we can do too. You see, uh, none of us deserve eternal life. None of us deserve this gift of hope and salvation. So what are we going to do with it? Christ offers us this gift. We can accept it or reject it. And so the first, the first thing we need to do with this passage is to accept this grace with, with great thanks, shouldn't we? Lorna shared some of the, the, the great things that people have done, the, the generous offers, uh, the generous gifts that people have, give, have given, um, porcelain dogs, that kind of thing. Um, how wonderful it is to receive a good gift. But you could just say, well, I don't want it and chuck it in the bin. Lorna could have taken that, that figurine and just to- tossed it. But no, she kept it. She accepted it. It's a logical thing to do. So the first logical response to this, this picture of grace that we see in this parable is, is to accept it. Now I know most of people in here have, have done that. But if you haven't done that, now's a good time, don't you reckon? If Jesus holds out this gift to you, you might have been in church for 50 years and still not accepted this gift. So I want to encourage you, first of all, this morning, to think, is this gift, have I taken hold of this gift for me? The second thing that we can do with this gift comes again, the next part of the story after Jesus talks about his death on the cross. and after, um, You see, after Jesus talks about what he's going to do, he then goes on to say, We, we then get this really strange story of James and John's mum. Again, she's a great, little mum. She, she wants to push her kids forward, she wants them to have the best opportunities. And so she comes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, I really want them to be first in your kingdom. Can you put my sons first? Little little Johnny and little Jimmy, if you could put them first, that would be really great. And so how does Jesus respond to them uh, to that request? He says in verse 27, well, the disciples get a bit cranky, and he says to the disciples, if you want to be great, you must be the servant of all. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, you, want to, you need to make yourself a servant. You see, when Christ came, the Lord of all, the number one, the first, he made himself last, dying on a cross, living a life of service to others. The night before he died, that beautiful picture of him bending down and, and washing the feet of his disciples, an incredible picture, isn't it? Um, and if, you, if we want to be God's followers, if we, been accept, if we accepted that gift, we've moved from last to first, how do we then respond with our lives? We need to do what Jesus did. We need to reverse it again. We need to make ourselves last. Not by being self-deprecating, but by actually caring for others. You see, the kingdom of God is so topsy-turvy. It turns everything upside down. It turns our status upside down and it turns our life upside down. So instead of my life being about me, it's now about you. That's what it means to be in the kingdom of heaven. That is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's, a, it's an upside down kingdom where the people you'd expect, that society would expect, they miss out. The people who nobody would expect, they get in. And then those who are in, rather than making the most of, of the glory that is theirs, they then give that for others. So in the light of this parable, let me encourage you to do those two things. Firstly, make sure that you've received the gift. If you receive received the gift, respond to God with thanks and praise. And we've been doing that as we've been singing this morning. And as we'll pray, we'll do that. But secondly, if you've accepted that gift, let me encourage you to turn your life upside down. Stop allowing your life to be just about me. Let's make it about others. Let's take the first and let's make ourselves last for the glory of God and for his kingdom. Let me pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we, we thank you because you are uh, one who turns our world upside down, our future, our lives upside down. Lord Jesus, we thank you that even though you are first over all creation, you gave it all up so that we might be saved. It's an amazing thing. Lord Jesus, we pr- I pray that all of us here would take hold of that gift for ourselves. If we haven't already, uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that. For those of us who have accepted that gift already, and I know there are many in here who are in that situation, Lord, we pray that you would teach us what it means to put ourselves last, to, uh, to put others before ourselves, to seek the good of others. Help us to be like Jesus, to be servants, uh, ready to call, to call others uh, that they might move from being last to being first. Father, thank you for this great encouragement. We pray that you would strengthen us to put it into practice in our lives, in Jesus' name. Amen.